Well, once again, welcome this morning. If you are visiting with us, we are so glad that you are here. Um, this morning, we're beginning a new sermon series entitled, Follow Me. And I'm excited about this series as, as we walk through this over the next several months. I know that God is going to bless each one of our hearts. How many of you this week noticed that the number one gas station in all of America is a gas station that's only found in the state of Texas? How many of you notice that? Bucky's. How many of you like Bucky's? Number one gas station in America, and it's just located in the great state of Texas. Um, several years ago, or no, I, I'm sorry, not several years ago, several months ago, um, my wife um, had this great idea. She wanted to go check out the new Bucky's in Roy City. And I told her um, that. Babe, that location is not open yet. She said, yes, it is. I read that it is open. Um, and Caitlin had been, we had been telling her that we'd go to Bucky's to get her some beef jerky. And so um, somehow, some way, happy wife, happy life, she convinced me that the Roy City's Bucky's had actually opened. And so we get in the car and we drive to Roy City. We come to the corner where the Bucky's is supposed to be. And I think it was like last spring break. And all there was was this giant field. The Bucky's was not there yet. And so, you know, what I did was I just turned to her and um, probably said something like this, I told you so. Um, and so guess what we ended up doing? We drove to Terrell to the Bucky's. Um, so I don't know how that happened, but sometimes it's important to follow what your wife tells you to do. I, I learned that from there. A story is told of a young woman who wanted to go to a prestigious college. And as she was filling out the application, there was a question on that application um, that asked, are you a leader? And this young lady wanted to answer that question honestly, and so she wrote on her application, no. After she turned in that application, she became very dejected, knowing that there was no way that she was going to get into this university. To her surprise, several weeks later, she received an acceptance letter in the mail. And on, uh, within that letter, it read this. It said, Dear Applicant, a study, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> when it comes to life, most of us want to be leaders. Very few of us want to be followers. Jesus, as he was calling his first disciples, in Matthew chapter 4, 19, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled, Follow Me. And we're going to walk through the book of Matthew together over the next several months. This morning, we're actually going to begin in Matthew chapter 3. And then in a couple of months, when we begin our Christmas series, we'll, we'll flip back to Matthew chapter 1 and go through Matthew chapters 1 and 2 during that series. Here's my question for you this morning. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you have cried out to Jesus and you've asked Him to be your Lord and Savior 
and you've repented of your sins and you placed your faith in him. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 3 together. And we're going to study the message of a man that Jesus declared was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Who do you think that Jesus was talking about there? Do you think that he was talking about Adam or Noah or Abraham or Isaac or maybe it was Jacob? Do you think he was talking about Moses or Elijah or Elisha? How about King David or King Solomon or my favorite biblical character, Enoch? Of him it was described, he walked with God and was no more. I think that qualifies as being the greatest man that has ever walked the face of this earth. But that is not who Jesus declared was the greatest man to ever walk the face of this earth. He was declaring that John the Baptist was the greatest man that has ever been born of a woman. He was greater than every king, every prophet, and every military leader. And in fact, Scripture says... In Matthew chapter 11 and 11, the first part, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Pretty remarkable when you think about it. You know, you and I assign greatness to those that are born into prestigious families or those that are born into great wealth, or those that are born and go to the finest Ivy League schools to receive their education. John qualified for none of those things. Let me give you just a brief background of the book of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And he, um, when, when Jesus called him to be his disciples... He wrote in, in um, the gospel that is ascribed to his name, the book of Matthew, that we're going to be studying together. Of all the gospels, Matthew is the most Jewish-centric, meaning that Matthew wrote his gospel with the Jew in mind. Matthew would frequently refer to the Old Testament prophets to help illustrate Jesus' identity as Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Within the pages of the book of Matthew, we see Matthew presenting Jesus Christ as the King and as the Lord and as the promised coming Messiah. In Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is presented as King by virtue of His birth. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is presented as King by virtue of the circumstances around his birth where the, the wise men came and brought gifts before King Jesus. And then King Herod, because he feared that his kingdom was in jeopardy, actually had every male two years and younger murdered because he was afraid that this Jesus would come and uproot his kingdom. Now in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew will introduce us to John the Baptist. And here's our message point this morning. John the Baptist was a herald that would announce the arrival of King Jesus. John the Baptist was a herald that would announce the arrival of King Jesus. John MacArthur in his commentary wrote this. He said, in ancient times, it was common for a herald to precede the arrival of the monarch, to announce his coming and to prepare for his safe and proper travel. 
With a group of servants, the herald would make sure that the roadway was as smooth and uncluttered as possible. Holes would be filled, rocks and debris would be removed, and unsightly litter would be burned or hidden. As the group traveled along and worked, the herald would proclaim the king's coming to everyone he encountered. His twofold duty was to proclaim and to prepare. That is what John's ministry did for God's great king, Jesus Christ. John preached a message of proclamation and a message of, of preparation. That is what I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to focus on the message that John the Baptist preached some 2,000 years ago, helping to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to already tell you right now, I've got some bad news for you. Not that we're going to be here for two hours, okay? The bad news is this. For those of you who like to fill in every blank in the bulletin this morning, unfortunately, we're only going to fill in two. So I want to go ahead and let you know that right away. All right, we're not going to make it to verse number or to point number three. But let's read together this morning in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fort is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Matthew begins this, this um, chapter with these words, in those days. These words serve as a transition from Matthew chapter 2 to Matthew chapter 3. This was a common literary phrase that a writer would use when they were describing a gap of time. And there was a significant gap of time. From Matthew chapter 2 to Matthew chapter 3, there's approximately 30-year gap in time. So we do not know anything of Jesus' childhood years with the exception of one account in the Gospel of Luke where Luke records how Jesus at the age of 12 went with his mother and father to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. That's the only um, scripture that we have that described to us anything about the boyhood life 
of Jesus. And so Matthew in his gospel doesn't report that. He goes straight from Matthew chapter 2 right into Matthew chapter 3. So that brings us to our first point this morning. Let's look at the messenger. The messenger. John the Baptist was his name. His, his name was John. His nickname was actually John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And despite what you might think, John the Baptist was not the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Okay, As Baptists, we really did not come to be as a denomination until the 17th century. So John the Baptist is not our original um, 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 uh, church um, father, I guess you would say. According to the world's standards, John the Baptist was not a very significant man. I mean, just go back and look at where he lived. He lived in the wilderness. Sometime around his teenage years, John went out and lived in the wilderness. So all throughout his teenage years and his early adult years, that's where he lived. His dress, he, he, he wore uh, an outfit made of camel's hair. His, his belt was a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. Not the picture of a Renaissance man, is it? More like the picture of a crazy person, wouldn't you say? He may not have been significant according to man, but I want you to know right now, John the Baptist was one of the most significant men that's ever walked the face of this earth. You may this morning think that where you're sitting, I'm not a very significant person. God can't use somebody like me because I've messed up way too many times for God to ever use me to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to know right now, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It matters the condition of your heart today. God can still use you today in a mighty way to impact this world for him. God used John the Baptist in a significant way, and God can use you too in a significant way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Luke. And I want us to look at a few verses about the birth of John the Baptist. John's father was a priest by the name of Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth were righteous and blameless in the eyes of the Lord, is what Scripture says. In Luke chapter 1, we read that Zechariah was chosen to go into the temple to offer up incense before the Lord. And while he is in the temple... The angel Gabriel appears to him and he tells Zechariah that he, his prayers have been answered. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth must have been praying for years that God would give them the opportunity to be parents. And so John is told by the angel Gabriel that he and his wife are going to have a child. Now, the, something that we need to realize here is that Zachariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. We don't know how old they were, but they were advanced in years, most likely beyond the age of having children. And not only were they beyond the age of having children, but Scripture tells us that his wife Elizabeth was barren, so unable to have children. And so Zachariah probably responded, as most of us in this room would, Zechariah actually laughed at the angel Gabriel whenever he heard that his wife was going to have a child. As a result of that, Zechariah was struck mute and he would remain mute until after John the Baptist was born. But I want us to see here in Scripture what Gabriel said of John the Baptist. We read in verse 14 of chapter 1 of Luke. It says this, "...and you will have joy and gladness." And many will rejoice at his birth. 
For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You know, John was not just any child. And he wouldn't just grow up to be any kind of man. He was an extraordinary child, and he would grow up into an extraordinary man. If you drop down a few verses, you see just how extraordinary John would be whenever his father said these words in Luke 1, 76. Zechariah said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sun rise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So even before His birth, John the Baptist has been set apart to be a great herald of the Lord. He would be Christ's forerunner that would announce his arrival. Can you imagine what a privilege that must have been? A credible privilege to be the man that would actually pronounce the coming of the king of the universe. A credible privilege, but an enormous responsibility as well. Our second point this morning is this. It's the message. The message that John preached. We see in verses 1 through 3, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make the path straight. The message that John preached was a very, very, very simple message. There was nothing elaborate about it. It was not a three-point sermon with a hymn or a psalm at the end. It was not a message that he stood up and preached for 45 minutes. It was a message that was simple. He preached a message that called people from darkness to light. He preached a message that called people to repent of their sins and to prepare their hearts for the coming of King Jesus, for the coming of Messiah. What I want us to do now is I want us to break up the message of John the Baptist. And I want us to look at the two components of this great message. And the first thing that I want us to see is this. I want us to look at this word, repent. Repent. Repent is one of those words that no one likes to hear. Am I right when I say that? You know, repent, it seems, is one of those words that is very old school when it comes to the church. Seems like one of those words that we would have heard a fiery evangelist talk about or preach about from yesteryears. Isn't that right, chief? Kind of seems like one of those words, doesn't it? Repent. But repent is a significant word. And it is a significant message that must be Preach. Repentance is a word that is underpreached in our churches today. If the greatest man that ever lived preached it, then there must be something to it. Think, of, think about it. Do you realize how important and significant the message of John the Baptist was? Repent. 
The very first message preached ushering in the king of the universe is a message calling people to repent. One commentator says this about the word repentance. Repentance in Greek traditionally implied a change of mind or attitude, but under Old Testament influence, it took on the sense of a change of action as well. This combination means that John was asking his hearers to change their way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. This word repent means to change. It means to go from living as a child of this world to living as a child of God. To be a Christ follower is so much more than just praying a prayer and asking Jesus Christ into our heart. To be a Christ follower means that we change directions completely when we come unto Jesus and repent of our sins. Being being a Christ follower means that you and I Make a commitment that we're going to abandon the world for Christ. We no longer live as lovers of this world. We no longer live as slaves to consumerism. We no longer live trying to accumulate things that moth and rust are going to destroy. And we live our lives with an eternal perspective in mind. We are to live our life for Christ in Christ only. So when a person comes unto repentance, what they are doing is they are making a commitment that they are going to live their old life, leave their old life behind, and they're going to take up their cross and follow after Jesus Christ every single day of their life. I want us to look at this word repent. And I want us to focus on this message that John the Baptist preached. I want us to notice three things that repentance involves this morning. The first thing is this. It involves a confession of sins. Confession of sins. In verses 5 and 6 of our focal passage in Matthew, it says this. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The first thing that repentance involves is a confession of sins. People from all of Jerusalem and all of Judea were coming out to hear this messenger, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what you may not realize is this, John the Baptist would be the first prophet to stand up before the people of God to be the voice of God in over 400 years. From the closing pages of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, until the opening pages of the New Testament, there was a gap of 400 years. For 400 years, the people did not have a prophet that would stand before them as God's agents and God's voice to lead them and direct them and guide them into ways of righteousness. So John the Baptist would be the first person in 400 years that would stand up and proclaim the truth of God's Word. And so John the Baptist was significant in that as well. We read in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 through 6, we read this prophecy. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. The prophet that this passage is talking about is John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the first man 
to proclaim the voice of God once again in over 400 years. So John preaches a message of repentance. The people come from all over the place, probably by the, by the hundreds, to hear John the Baptist. And when John preached his message, people were repenting of their sins, they were confessing their sins, and John was baptizing them right there in the Jordan River. Here's what I want us to be aware of this morning, okay? Sometimes, just because a person confesses their sins, it does not mean that they actually are repenting of their sins. As an example, um, think back to um, the days that the Israelites lived in bondage. Think back to the ten plagues. After the eighth plague, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron together. And, and this is what we read in Exodus 9, chapter, uh, Exodus 9, verses 27 and through 28. And this is what Pharaoh says. He says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and, 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 I and my people are in the wrong. Did Pharaoh really repent of his sins right there? Did he really confess his sins and really repent of his sins? Absolutely not. If he had repented of his sins, guess what? He would have released the Israelites from slavery and bondage, and he would have allowed Moses to to lead them out into the promised land. Pharaoh wasn't confessing his sins here. He wasn't really repenting of his sins. He was trying to placate God and placate Moses and Aaron. And so my question for you is when you reach back to the moment of your salvation, you sure you confessed your sins, but did you really repent of your sins? Second thing that we see here when it comes to repentance is when we repent of our sins, there needs to be an element of brokenness that occurs. And I'm not saying that, that when we, when we um, confess our sins and repent of our sins that we need to fall prostrate on the ground and weep and cry over every single one of our sins. I'm not saying that at all. But there should be a point of brokenness in our lives that our sins cause us to respond similar to the way that Isaiah responded in chapter 6 of Isaiah whenever he said, Woe is me! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, whenever he came into proximity of the Lord, the first thing that he recognized is that he was a woeful sinner. And he was broken as a result of his sin. And he confessed his sin and repented of his sin. So there needs to be, when we truly confess our sins and truly repent of our sins, there should be an element of brokenness in our hearts because we recognize the wretchedness of our sins and how much our sin hurts God. So there is a confession that occurs. There is a brokenness that occurs. And the last thing is this. There is a turning from our sin as well. That is what repentance means. It means that we turn away from our old lifestyle, and we accept this new life that comes with being a Christ follower. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. This is important this morning. Where there is no change, 
there's been no repentance. Realize that, don't you? Where there is no change in our lifestyle, there has been no true repentance. How can I say that boldly up here before you this morning? Because God's Word makes it abundantly clear that when we repent of our sins, then we are going to turn from our old lifestyle and we're going to receive this new lifestyle that comes with being a Christ follower. If we're going to be Christ followers, then we must be people that have abandoned our old lifestyles for the new life that comes as a child of God. This morning, let me ask you a question. When you reach back to the moment of your salvation or as you um, pan back through the days of your life, Has there ever been a point in your life where you have truly repented of your sins and turned from your old lifestyle and become a new believer, a new person that comes as a child of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon and in our lives? This word repent means a, 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 a life change. It means an about face. It's almost like when, when a person becomes a Christ follower, what they do is they're living this way within the world. And at the moment that they repent of their sins and ask Christ to be their Lord and Savior, they turn completely and they make an about face and they begin living their lives for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to repent. It, it's a change of direction. It goes, we go from living for the world to living for Christ. And so the question this morning for each and every one of us in this room is, has there been a point in all of our lives where we have repented and made an about face and we've surrendered our lives over to Jesus Christ? Being a Christ follower means that we do that very thing, that we turn from our old life and we receive this new life that is in Christ Jesus. Next, let's look at the second part of John's message. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in the other gospels, we will read the kingdom of God is at hand, both meaning the same thing. John preaches the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what John is preaching is that the reign and rule of God is breaking into human history in an entirely new way. His message was significant. Not only was he calling people to repent of their sins, but he was calling them to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. God breaking into human history and coming in a physical sense to dwell in our midst. So that's the message that John is preaching, that God has broken into human history and he's coming to dwell in our midst. Can you imagine living 2,000 years ago and hearing the message that you have been anticipating since you've been a people group? The Jews, the people of this world had been longing for the coming of the Messiah. And John begins to preach this message that God has broken into human history and he is coming. So that means two things. There's two significant components to the kingdom of heaven breaking into human history. The first one is this. It means that salvation is here. 
Salvation is here. The one that can take away your sins is here. And so that's what John is preaching. John is preaching that the long-awaited Messiah that will save you from your sins and give you the gift of eternal life is here. That is a great message. As I said, the Jews had been waiting and anticipating the Messiah for thousands upon thousands of years. And when they hear that John is preaching of his imminent coming, They begin to drop everything and they go out into the wilderness to hear this message and they repent of their sins and then they are baptized. So there is the message that salvation is here is what John the Baptist is proclaiming. And understand this, that if salvation is here, if the kingdom of God breaking into human history means that salvation is here, it also has to mean one other thing. And that is that hell is near. That hell is near is near. If salvation that comes through Christ is here, then then the reality that hell is near for those that choose not to repent of their sins is also the message that John is preaching. The kingdom of heaven is not a temporary kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom. It will be one that will never, ever pass away. For those who truly repent of their sins and confess Christ to be their Lord and Savior, they will be guaranteed access into the kingdom of heaven. But for those that choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, then Scripture is abundantly clear that hell will be their reward. I want you to know, as I've said before, hell was not created for you and I. Hell was not created for humanity. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. It was not created for you and I. So the reality is this. If you go to hell, then you go to hell because you choose hell over heaven. You choose to die in your sin than to repent of your sin. So this morning, as we have walked through this message together, I hope that you have realized the importance of repentance. Repentance means that we turn from our old lives and we receive this new life that not only is a new life that comes while we dwell on this earth as we receive the Holy Spirit, but it is in a new life in the sense that eternity is our reward if we choose to repent of our sins and follow after Jesus Christ. So heaven is a reality. Christ is a reality. For those that choose not to believe in Jesus, also hell is a reality. Read with me, and we're going to close here. But read with me in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. We read this. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here's the picture here. In ancient days as well as really in in modern 
days as well. When we were up in, in Ecuador, um, as we were driving around, um, I noticed, and I've, I've really seen this in other trips that I've taken to Ecuador, but you see people working a threshing floor. And what they do is they gather, gather up their wheat and they beat that wheat on the ground. And they, they cause that wheat to fall out of its stalk. And, and what happens next is they get a, um, a, 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 like a pitchfork or they get um, a cloth and they begin to bounce this cloth around. And what happens is the wind carries off that chaff carries off that dirt and that debris. And so afterwards, you're left with just this um, kernel of wheat. And so the picture here of what John is preaching is that there is going to come a day when Jesus Christ is going to work as a threshing floor and He's going to take that wheat and He's going to pull out of that the chaff. And that chaff is going to be blown into the wind, blown into the lake of fire. And what's going to be left is just that kernel of wheat. And that kernel of wheat represents those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And their eternal reward is heaven. The reality is if their eternal reward is heaven, then there's also an eternal separation for those that choose not to follow. And they represent the chaff that will, that will, will burn eternally. Okay, there's no other way to sugarcoat that or placate that before you this morning. The reality is for those that choose to die in their sin, they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. It's not going to be a pretty place. It's going to be a place of eternal tor- torment and a tor- eternal separation from God. So this morning, my prayer for every single one of us in this room is that we represent that kernel of wheat, that we represent individuals that have surrendered their lives over to Jesus Christ and repented of their sins, and your reward is eternal life in heaven. But the reality is this, in a room such as this, that there are probably some in this room that have truly never repented of their sins. And if you were to die today, you would spend eternity separated from God in hell. So this morning, as we enter into this time of invitation, I'm going to be standing here at the front. And I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and to trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And Scripture says that if we do that, then our reward is eternity in heaven. If you choose this morning to leave this place and you choose to die in your sin, and you choose never to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then Scripture is clear that you will be eternally separated from God in hell. My prayer is that you will not die without knowing Christ as your Savior. So this morning, if you don't know for certain, if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you to come this morning and say, Chad, I don't know Jesus. I've never repented of my sins. And I wanted to know for certain today that if I was to die today, that I'd spend eternity with them in heaven. So believers, what I want to ask you to do during this time of invitation, I want to ask you to pray. I want you to pray for those that you're sitting beside, those that are in this room. If there's someone here that does not know Jesus, may today be the day that they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So pray for that. Let's stand together this morning.